morning sports fans betters and cappers and welcome to the daily competitive hedge podcast i'm your host kenneth cotterell and this morning show is all about sports and the world of betting we talk about yesterday's results from both the betting and overall game perspective and maybe some headlines as well we then talk about the games that are on the slate for today which bets we like and we cap it all off with our favorite early five plays of the day three of which will be featured in our parlay of the day later on today. Now, our episode today is brought to you by our sponsor, Bet99. Bet99 is a Canadian sportsbook and casino that offers in-play betting, player props, a cash-out option, and many more great products. There are a variety of sports available on the website to bet on, and Bet99 works smoothly on both desktop and mobile. The Bet99 mobile app can be downloaded from the homepage of the website. Depositing and withdrawing funds is hassle-free with a number of well-known methods available to use so you know your money is safe and secure. The website can be viewed in both English and French and customer service is available 24-7 on their live chat option. So go to bet99.com to make an account to get started and please gamble responsibly. You must be 19 plus years of age to do so. Now let's talk about yesterday's betting recap. New York Yankees and Seattle Mariners. They we were on the over seven. They finish at seven right on the nose. So that was a push. If you bet with us early, you would have got a push. If not, the line moved to seven and a half. And so you would have had to take the under there. Then we had the Phoenix Mercury. They lost to the Minnesota Lynx. We had Texas and Houston. Uh we were on the over seven or under seven and a half and they went over going into extra innings so tough day for those plays but we did have the dallas uh and new york liberty game they went over 161 and a half and we had san diego and san fran went over eight and a half i kept saying kansas city and san diego for some reason yesterday it was definitely san fran and so they breezed past that over 13 to 7 yesterday now, yesterday's results, as far as some of the games go, we talked about the World Juniors yesterday. Sweden and Switzerland. Sweden won that game 3-2. to two. We talked about how we thought the Swiss might cover. We didn't play it as an official play, but they did end up covering that one. Sweden winning a tight matchup. We're dead wrong on the Canada game. 5-2 to two was the final there. We like the over 8, and we like Canada to cover the 6.5 was not particularly close on either front. And then we like Germany minus two and a half. Wasn't an official play once again, but minus two and a half. They just miss out winning four to two versus Austria. Then when we're talking other MLB results from yesterday, the Mets blew out the Reds 10 to two yesterday. Great pitching performance by Tayon Walker, who went six innings with five Ks. And then we had the Brewers. They won four to three over the Rays. Devin Williams picking up the win there for the Brewers. The Cubs won 4-2 versus the Nationals. Michael Rucker picks up the win there in that game. Then we have the Angels 5-4 over the A's. Uh, Shohei Otani uh, was not on the mound yesterday, but we did have Jamie Barria who ended up pitching for the Angels. They don't win a lot of games when it's not Otani, but they were able to do so yesterday. Then we had, as we said, the Padres 13-7 they win. Mariners beat the Yankees once again 4 to 3 despite a great pitching performance by Nestor Cortez. He went 6 innings, 10 Ks, still wasn't enough. The Yankees bats need to wake up very quickly. They have not put up a lot of runs in that Mariners series. And then the Phillies won 4 to 3 over the Marlins. Uh Sandy Alcantara once again goes 7 and 2 thirds, but unable to pick up the win, could not get the run support that he needed. The Braves won 8-4 over the Red Sox. 
The Guardians three to two over the Tigers. The Rangers eight to four over the Astros. This one hurt. We're out of the survivor pool, as are four other people due to that Astros loss. Royals won four to eight to three, sorry, over the White Sox. The Cardinals nine to five over the Rockies. The Pirates six to four over the Diamondbacks. And then the Dodgers pulled out a win in the late game, eight to five over the Minnesota Twins. Then, as we said, the Liberty won 91-73 over the Wings, and then the Lynx win 86-77 over the Phoenix Mercury. We stayed away from League Cup action on the England front, English soccer front, we should say, but nonetheless, great day yesterday of games, and we've got another loaded day today. So let's talk about the bets for today. We're going to start out with the FedEx St. Jude uh, on the golf side. We know that they're going to be teeing off right away here, so we want to make sure we get those plays in. So Xander Shoffley, we're picking to win. Half unit play there at plus 1,600. And Cameron Young as well at 28-1. to 1. Young's been in great form recently, uh, probably the best rookie on the PGA Tour this year. I think he has potential to pick up a big win here in a pretty loaded field that features Rory and Scheffler and Rom and a lot of other great players that have taken some time off. Top 10, I like Tony Finau, plus 220. How can you not when he's won a couple tournaments recently? Uh, the back-to-back that he had a few weeks ago. So really like Tony this week. And then Sung J.M.'s been playing some great golf as well. So plus 320 on him to finish top 10 is a full unit play as well. Then Sam Burns, plus 139. And Max Homa, plus 200. These are guys that were in great form earlier in the year. Kind of cooled off over the last month or so. But I think either one of them has potential to bounce back in a big way this week at the FedEx St. Jude. We're not going to play any round matchups until the weekend. So that's where we're at as far as the St. Jude goes. World Juniors wise, we're taking all of the underdogs today. These are all official plays that we like for the World Juniors, starting with the Czech Republic plus two and a half versus Finland. I don't think they're going to win outright, but the Czechs are usually a solid team here. I see a 4-2, to 5-3 type finish, and so I think the Czechs are going to cover that spread. Canada, I don't see covering 5.5 against Slovakia today after their performance yesterday against Latvia. I think the Slovaks will keep it close. Close-ish, I should say. Canada's probably going to win this game 6-2, 6-3, but goaltending didn't look great yesterday. They gave up a couple goals despite not many shots, and so I think that'll happen once again today, but Slovakia will cover. And then the Swiss plus three and a half versus the U.S. We're going to ride with the Swiss once again to keep a game close against a talented team. They did so yesterday. I think they're going to do it again today. The U.S. might be the best team in this tournament, but I think the Swiss have the ability to keep it within three goals, which is not saying a lot, but I do think that it is definitely something that needs to be mentioned. Now we got some NFL preseason today. You got the Giants and the Patriots tonight. I... Over under is 33 and a half, very low there, but I'm staying away from that game. I'm actually probably staying away from NFL preseason in general. I don't love betting on preseason games, but then you also got the Ravens minus three and a half at home versus the Titans. The over under there is 31 and a half. I would probably take the over if I was betting it, but once again, staying away from preseason. Then we got the Phillies, they're minus 165 versus the Marlins. It's Gibson versus Cabrera. Guardians minus 155 versus Detroit. Plesak versus Hill. I actually like the over in that game. It's not an official play, but it is a game that I'm leaning. So I do like the over eight and a half in Tigers Guardians. Then Astros are minus 340 again today against the Rangers. Staying away from that one. Got burned with Verlander going. He pitched well. Couldn't get the run support, so I'm staying away. Then we've got the White Sox minus 175 versus the Royals. It's Cease versus Granke. Anytime Cease is on the mound, I like betting on him. But I'm going to stay away today just because I think Granke's been pretty solid recently. And so I don't want to uh, don't want to bet on Cease when you've got that kind of momentum for a pitcher and he's at home. Cardinals are minus 120 against the Rockies. Over-under is 12 there. They're expecting a ton of runs like they have had the past couple days. Then you got the Diamondbacks minus 190 versus the Pirates. The Red Sox minus 130 versus the Orioles. And then the Reds minus 115 versus the Cubs. 
CFL-wise, you got the Alouettes and Bombers tonight. Bombers are double-digit spread favorites there. Uh, they did win 35-20 to 20 last week, so this is a home-and-home home that they're playing, and so that's one to keep an eye on. WNBA-wise, we do have the Chicago Sky and Vegas Aces today. Aces are favored at minus 2.5. And then the Connecticut Sun, they're on the road against the Sparks, and they are plus 10.5 against those Sparks. English soccer-wise, you do have West Brom and Sheffield United in League Cup today. Again, staying away. If I had to lean, I do like West Brom at home, but once again, staying away on that front. So let's get into the... We've talked a lot about games that we're staying away from. Let's talk about the ones that we like with our early hedge five. And so these are not all official, official plays, Actually, you know what? No, I like all five of these plays this morning. We're sticking by them. So these are going to be our five official plays for the day, three of which will be featured in our parlay, and we're going to make some money today. So Winnipeg Jets, Winnipeg Jets, Winnipeg Blue Bombers minus 11 and a half versus the Montreal Alouettes. The Bombers have yet to lose, and last week they won 35 to 20, as I said. But this game was 14 all entering the fourth, or midway through the fourth, I should say. And then quality just won out. The Bombers are an absolute wagon. Now they're at home. I think they blow them out again here. And so I'm rolling with the Bombers minus 11 and a half at home against the Alouettes. I like the Vegas Aces minus one and a half today versus the Chicago Sky at minus 125. Buying the point here because I do think this is going to be a tight matchup. You got the best teams from both conferences. Uh, Chicago, they had that massive comeback in June. One of the biggest in WNBA history. I just think Vegas, they're at home. They're coming in very motivated, looking to pick up a big win, a statement win heading into the playoffs, that they're the team to beat. And so I think they pull it out today in a close game. Then I like the Phillies run line versus Miami today. You got Kyle Gibson taking on Edward Cabrera. Gibson's pitched 14 innings and just three earned runs combined in his last two starts. So he's coming in in form. Cabrera did pitch a five-inning shutout his last time out, but prior to that, gave up five earned runs and seven hits and got chased early. And I think that, that he's going to go back closer to that form. I think the Phillies are the much better team here. They couldn't give Alcantara any runs yesterday, and so I think that the Phillies are going to blow them out today, and that's why I'm taking the run line. Then I like the Cardinals' money line versus Colorado at minus 115. Dakota Hudson on the mound. He's 6-6 six and six with a 4.2 ERA. He's taken on German Marquez, 6-9 and nine with a 5.18 ERA. Now, Hudson's given up just over two runs in his last four starts. And then Marquez giving up uh, two and four in just six innings pitched each game in his last two out. So it should be a high-scoring game, but I do think that Hudson's the better pitcher. I think... If St. Louis can get some early runs out there, then they're going to win this game. And so at minus 115, I like this Cardinals team a lot more than the Rockies. And then to finish it off, Baltimore and Boston under 10. Dean Kramer, who's 4-3 and three with a 3.43 ERA, taking on Josh Winkowski, 5-5 five and five with a 4.68 ERA. Now, it's been an even split on going over under 10 this year with the Orioles and Boston, 4-4. And typically when they do go over, it's you've got Rich Hill on the mound or Pavetta going for Boston. I think that this is going to be a lower scoring game than people are expecting. Boston had a ton of runs in that Braves series. Baltimore had the same with Toronto. And I think that this is a low scoring game that people might not be expecting. So I'm taking the under 10 here at minus 110. But thank you everyone who tunes in every morning to our live show. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast version of this show, Stay tuned as we have our Detroit Lions preview segment coming up right away here with Craig Campbell, recorded last night with Craig. Absolutely phenomenal guy from Off the Ball Network. Welcome back to the Competitive Hedge podcast. It is August 11th, which means our 11th NFL team preview is upon us. Now, yesterday's discussion was all about the Cincinnati Bengals. Shout out to Taylor Cornell for coming on the show, a first-time guest, but we are hopping back to the NFC today. We're talking about our second NFC North team. This one should be a little bit less depressing than the Bears discussion that we had a few days ago, that being the Detroit Lions. Now, the guy I'm bringing on is another first-time guest of the show. If I can say one thing that has been the best part of doing these NFL team previews 
It's the amount of new people I've been able to get to work with throughout this entire endeavor. But he's one of the newest members of the Off the Ball Network. He's a writer for Overtime Heroics, as well as an analyst for the All Sports All Plays Network or the ASAP Network. And most importantly, is a passionate Lions fan. If you couldn't tell from the t-shirt, that is Craig Campbell. Craig, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Ken, I'm doing great, man. I uh, really appreciate you having me on the show. Talk some Lions football. Uh, it's, it's really a great experience to start uh, kind of getting to work with the off the ball team, uh, yourself included. Well, uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Came off the heels of the first uh, hard knocks episode last night. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it, if Dan Campbell can't make you run through a wall at 10 p.m., uh, I don't know what will. <laughs> <laughs> the the guy is an absolute lightning rod when it comes to excitement and just the way that he is um, in his everyday life, it seems like. So um, I need to tune into Hard Knocks. I missed episode one. It's definitely something that I should have done before doing a Lions preview of all things, but I'll be sure to give it a, a watch tonight. But let's talk about those Lions from last year. There, there's a reason why they're on, on a show like Hard Knocks, because um, they went 3-13 and one last year, second worst in the NFL, but they were in a lot of those games. That was the one thing that I noted going back and looking at their season. When you've got five games that you're losing by four points or less, you're in a lot of those football games. And sometimes you just need a little bit of time to learn how to win in the league. And so they started 0-8. The heartbreaker against Baltimore, that's a game that I don't think I'll ever forget. And you're probably trying to forget as a Lions fan. Uh, we saw the tie against the Steelers. They didn't pick up a win until week 13, but they showed a lot of promise late in the year, getting those uh, big wins late in their season. So walk me through what it was like as a Lions fan last year when it feels like you're in every game and everyone keeps talking about the Lions, like this is their week. And then it took them a little bit longer than expected, but they did show a ton of promise. So what was it like last year for you? Well, we have a saying in Detroit, uh, an acronym SOL, the same old lions. They find new <laughs> ways to lose every week. It seems like um, the, some of the weirdest, some of the weirdest ways to lose have happened to the lions. It seems like in the last decade or more uh, and that Baltimore Ravens game is another example of that. It was so frustrating to see the, the penalty, or I think it was that there should have been a delay a game right before the Tucker kick. It wasn't called. And then Tucker does what Tucker does is one of the best kickers in the league. You can't allow him to be in that kind of a position. And when that happened, we, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to be a Lions fan every year because we, we drink the Kool-Aid, if you will. Like mm -hmm. we're always, we're always hopeful that next year is going to be the year. And every year we, we have the same scenario seems like, but, that's the one thing that's different about this team than in past regimes with Matt Patricia, for example, that team was so bad and you could tell the players did not want to be there. They didn't want to yeah. play for Patricia. Uh, there was just a lot of really, a lot of really weird stuff bubbling under, under the surface resentments and all that kind of stuff. But then when Dan Campbell comes in, you're like, okay, this, they kind of maybe took a flyer on him being the head coach what's this going to be? And then of course they have the bad start, but they're competitive and these guys love to play for each other. And I think that's one thing that a lot of America is going to see through the hard knock series is how, how Campbell has built his coaching staff and his roster for guys that just, they love to play football and they want to play for each other. Now it's just got to translate to the talent level. You could tell like, the defense ranked dead last in points for they were almost dead last in total yards allowed. It, it was really ugly to watch because they didn't have a pass rush. Yeah. Um, and then, if you know, you've got a few a lot of other holes to to fill. And now that's the step, hopefully this this coming year. But you know, we had a lot of games they were in and it was that, that Pittsburgh Steelers game was such a brutal one to watch. But yeah. um but yeah, they're they're in a lot of games, and that's the hope is that from year one to year two, the, the next year is that's going to be the year where they start maybe not winning every close game, but at least winning a handful of them. 
that, that that's kind of one of the things that that I noted was like obviously there there's all the close games and, and that they're taking losses last year, but when you look at what they did in the off season in order to go and address some of the issues, as you said, the pass rush was a big issue. They addressed that through the draft. They maybe felt like they needed a couple more weapons on offense for Jared Goff. They went out and got those. And so I, I think there's a lot of optimism amongst Lions fans. And let's just say it, NFL fans in general, you, you never want to see a franchise that um, goes through a drought and unless they're in your own division. But if you're if you're a casual fan, you're like, man, it would be great to see Detroit get back on track. And you have some of these teams that lost a lot of games last year either didn't do a lot or they're going into a full-on rebuild, but Detroit's different. It feels like they're they're ascending and they're starting to get to a better place. As you said, they want to play for Dan Campbell, and that's huge when you've got buy-in from your locker room. And the one clip I did see from, from Hard Knocks was the, the Williams clip where he's getting all emotional in the huddle. Like That's great to see, especially when you're you know a month away from the season starting. And so uh, I think there's a lot of optimism there. So the Lions offseason, they go out, they add DJ Chark on the offensive side. They kept Raymond, they kept Reynolds. Um, they had the two first round picks. So they go and get Hutchinson at number two. You get Jamison Williams out of Bama at 12. You also get Josh Paschal in the second round, D end out of Kentucky. So that should help on the pass rush side of things and the weapon side of things. Now, when we're talking the Lions within the division, for a long time, it felt like the NFC North was. Well, it's Green Bay is going to cruise to the division title. Minnesota is going to be hot on their heels. And then Detroit and Chicago are kind of picking for scraps. I think it's a lot different this year. And I think it's a bit more wide open than people are giving them credit for. Now, to Green Bay's credit, they have the solid defense. They did lose Devontae Adams. We'll have to see how the offense looks. Everything I'm hearing out of training camp is they're struggling. But you got Aaron Rodgers when you got the back-to-back MVP you're assuming that he's going to figure it out. Minnesota's got the new head coach, essentially the same roster, and Chicago's in that rebuild mode. So it feels like Detroit's in a good position here to maybe position themselves, maybe not necessarily first in the division, but in the playoff hunt this year. So where do you see them kind of fitting in in this division this year? Yeah, I think the benchmark is still the Green Bay Packers. Um, You know, you mentioned it. Yeah, they that's kind of where I think the window of opportunity is here for any team that's trying to take the crown away from green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, for whatever reason, the green Bay Packers, they love to upset him and not get him weapons. I don't <laughs> understand why you would back-to-back MVP. Let's take away his best weapon. Like let's just trade him somewhere else. Um, but that defense you mentioned, that's going to be what they're going to hang their hat on this year. And if they can, if they can, um, if that defense can create turnovers and create short fields for that offense, it doesn't really matter who's around Aaron Rodgers. They're still going to be able to perform to a certain level. Uh, the teams that I really look at, obviously the Bears are the Bears. You know, they're, they don't know what they're doing. They're almost, in the last few years, they're almost as bad as like the Lions and the Browns types of organizations that they're really just head scratching moves. And you really wonder yeah. what the direction is. Um, but yeah, I was I was I've been looking over the schedule preparing for this for this show. And it was hard. The first time I ran through, I was like, OK, yeah, that should be a win. That should be a win. Um, I looked down at the bottom. I'm like, 12 wins. No, there's that's there's no way like. <laughs> the lions haven't historically played well on the road. So um, kind of given myself a more honest look at it. Uh, I think their ceiling. I've said it before. I think their ceilings nine wins this year um, where that ranks in the division. I don't know. I don't think the, I don't think the Vikings are going to be as good as, as everyone thinks um, they do have a new head coach, got a new, uh, they got a new GM, I believe too. They still have Kirk cousins at the helm. Who's serviceable. And it really is going to be dependent upon is that receiving core or that offense going to be strong enough to be able to eliminate or at least limit the double triple teams on Jefferson on the outside. If you can do that and Delvin cook, is he going to be healthy? Um, I might've seen, I think I've saw somewhere he's not super healthy coming into training camp. Um, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't, that's going to be a real worry if you're a Vikings fan, because 
that's your offense is those three guys right now. So that based on in the defense, I don't think the Vikings, I think the lions have a really good opportunity to be second in the division. And if things really fall apart for the Packers, it might be a really bad division, like the division winners, nine or 10 wins, but you know, the lions could knock on that door. It just depends on, they have a very easy schedule. I think they have like the third, third to fifth easiest schedules, like under 50% w- expected winning percentage for opponents. So they have a really easy schedule compared to the rest of the league. And some of the difficult teams they would have uh, are uh, some of them are at home. Yeah. So you've got like the bills are coming, are coming to Detroit. Um, and a lot of the road games, you're at the giants at the at the Panthers, at the Jets, those are all teams you can beat. Yeah. Um, so I think I think the ceiling's nine wins, but I would not be surprised if the floor is like five to six wins. Like if yeah. injuries come around, if uh Jamison Williams and uh he's out still with, with injury. Pascal, you mentioned he's on the pup list right now. Um other guys that need to stay healthy. DJ Chark didn't play a whole lot last year. Yeah. I've been watching him a lot in training camp. I Watching him since he started in Jacksonville, I think he's got potential to be a huge red zone threat mm-hmm. and and to be a number one type receiver if he can stay healthy and have a decent quarterback. So I, from what everything I've seen in camp and heard, DJ Chark's having a phenomenal uh, having a phenomenal camp, and that's that's you need that to counter what Amon Ross St. Brown is going to do. The the team leader last year. Um, but that offense has a potential if they can run the football the way they want to. I think the lions have a good chance to make a huge step forward. Yeah. Like one of the things that I do when I like going through the schedule and I like looking at like, you know, strength of schedule, the lions fifth easiest schedule, which is great for a team like this, that, that is looking to pick up more wins, start to build momentum moving forward. And, and I went through the schedule and I was like, I see 10 or 11 possible wins. Now we're also talking about a team, as we said, that lost a lot of close games last year. So that's where I start to dial it back of, okay, so if it's 11, there's probably three or four games in there that they're going to lose either a close game or or they just lose because they're still trying to figure out how to win. But this also means that if all goes perfectly according to plan, I think there's a scenario where they get to 10. I don't think Mm -hmm. it's the most likely scenario I think it's a bit of a long shot to say that they're going to get there, but I like them in that eight to nine win range. And that's why one of my favorite bets that I've seen is that Lions win total at the six and a half. Because for me, I think six is like worst case scenario with this group. You go through a lot of injuries. Um, maybe, as you said, some of these guys that that are not healthy going into camp. Maybe Chark just gets banged up again because he's coming off a major injury. Swift tends to miss time in and out of the lineup being a smaller back. Like those are things that are concerning, but I still feel like this team to me looks like an eight win team. And and I think they have the potential to do that. We're talking about, I mean, first of all, I'm a Dallas fan. You're playing our division and outside of Dallas, it's, like Philly made the playoffs last year. Some people are projecting them a bit higher. Some people are projecting them lower, but you got Washington in there. You have the giants. As you said, you get the AFC East. So you get Miami, you get the jets. We're talking Jags, Carolina teams that you mentioned. Seattle is on the schedule as well. So to me, there's a lot of games in there that are certainly gettable. And so I really like the over on that side of things. Now, one of the bets that I'm intrigued by, and it's one that I'm going to hedge it not to plug competitive hedge, but kind of plug competitive <laughs> but, edge. But plug it. <laughs> but, but, but the lions to finish third in the division is plus plus one sixty, and to finish second is plus four sixty. And so part of me is feeling like I had, I don't think that fourth place is in the cards, especially looking at the bears where they're at right now. Like I said it in the bears preview, they've done everything that they can to give Justin Fields zero chance to succeed in his second year. They ditched Khalil Mack. It sounds like Roquan Smith could be out the door as well. So I think this Chicago team might be one of the worst in the NFL. I think they're in three, four win territory. And I don't think the Lions are even close to that. So I might be betting on both of these just because I have that much faith that they're not the worst team in this division. And I think they're going to push for 
because to me, the NFC, I could see nine and eight being playoffs, even potentially the seventh spot being eight and nine. Cause there's, once you get past the division winners, there's a lot of teams with question marks. We know that injuries happen. And so that's what I really like about this Lions team is that I think they have that. If they have that eight win potential, maybe they exceed that and get to nine just because of Campbell's energy and his staff and everything that you've got going on there. I think they're in a great spot. So the plus 420 to make the playoffs for me is I'm not prepared to go that far because my concern is I think they're going to get to eight, but you're banking on an under 500 team making the playoffs at that point, which would concern me. So hearing some of those betting lines, um, what do you think of the win total, especially? Cause that's the one that I've kind of honed in on the most. Like, I feel like that's the one that I feel the most comfortable with thinking that they're going to be a seven, eight win team. If at six and a half, when that was released, a lot of, a lot of us were, were looking at, Oh my goodness, six and a half. That's, that's so low based on what we know, the direction this team's going to go. But if you think about it, historically, three win teams are not going to make that huge leap over more than six wins from Vegas eyes when they release those win totals. But I, if I'm, if I'm betting on that, I'm taking the over for sure because of all those things you mentioned, the easiest ease of the schedule. You're assuming that the pieces of that the pieces of the offense and defense that have been coming together are going to gel a little bit better. Some of those close games, the lions might start winning. So I'm going to take the over there. I do find it very intriguing of the second and third place in the division. Uh, it really depends on, uh, on the Vikings. If the Vikings can be healthy or be able to uh, be able to perform offensively with cook and cousins and Jefferson and, and those guys, I think they can then take the second spot. So I wouldn't be afraid to bet either the second or the third. The most intriguing one to me is that 420 for the playoffs. Um, lions don't normally make the playoffs. So that's something that I would probably be very, a little hesitant to bet. But I mean, if you're just throwing, you know, if you're just throwing some money at it and sitting, you know, you're trying to, find a, a really good way. Like you could make that bet. I wouldn't be super confident with it. Yeah. But still, I would still fire it off because that, that possibility you just mentioned outside of the division winners, the rest of the NFC isn't very strong. The NFC South, you got Tampa and everybody else, the NFC East. You still, I think Dallas is still the benchmark. And yeah. then you've got the Eagles who made the playoffs. And then the other two teams are they're You know, they're probably not gonna make the playoffs. Um, yeah. And then if you look at the West, well, the Seahawks are probably going to be one of the worst teams. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like in, in the NFC West um, 49ers the quarterback situation, does Trey Lance be now being named the starter? Is, is he going to be a guy that's actually going to be able to manage a game, let alone make plays and, and, and win you some games. So you got the Rams and everybody else you got. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I think that last, last wild card spot could be an eight win team. And if things go well for the Lions, I think I think they could squeeze in. So the only reason why I prefer the second place at plus 460 to the playoffs one is my concern is if this is a one division team. And if that happens, you're getting the better odds at second place. To me, if they finish second, they're probably in the playoffs just looking at some of these other teams. But if they're not then they could still finish second in the division and you cash your bet. Whereas if you go playoffs, maybe they do finish second at eight and nine, but then they miss, then then you're going to feel like you got burned. And what I like is like, we talked about all these teams with question marks. And so I think second is definitely attainable. And so when you hedge those two together, like worse comes to worse, they finish third, you're still up, you're still up money but you're hoping for the second you get the second and it's a great payday. You're like, yes, this is one of my better future bets that I placed. And so that's why I tend to lean the, the second place just because you got the little bit better odds there as well. Now, from a fantasy perspective on the Detroit Lions side of things, there's probably more fantasy options here than you have had for a number of years when it comes to the Lions. Now we won't spend too much time on quarterback. Not that I, I'm like a Jared Goff hater, but when we're talking rankings wise, he's quarterback 27. So if you're talking like just 12 team league, unless you're playing 
two quarterbacks. I know some people do that, but we're talking standard league here. You're probably using Goff as a bye week guy, a yeah. matchup guy, an injury guy. So um, do you think otherwise on that, or are you kind of in the same boat as far as the Goff value fantasy-wise? I'm I'm kind of in the same boat, but I will I would be willing to take a later round flyer on him because I know last year um he was 25th in points fantasy points per game, 20th in yards, 20th in passing touchdowns. Yeah, he missed a few games, but the one thing that I and of course being a little bit closer to it in the offseason, offensive coordinator Ben Johnson basically had a huddle with Goff and they went over hours and hours of game film from the Rams Super Bowl run and what yeah. worked well on that offense. What does, what does Goff like about that offense? What made him successful? And one of the things that I think could potentially work very well in Goff's favor, and you probably wouldn't even notice this until later in the year, or maybe he's a guy that gets a waiver pickup partway through the year. If he has the type of year that he could, uh, he's eligible for, uh, he's eligible for an extension, I believe, after this year. So yeah. he's playing for his NFL future. Added motivation is there. Exactly. Sure. And so I, I did some digging about his 2018 fantasy season because I was yeah. curious if that's what they were looking at. I want to see how he performed from uh, from that perspective. And yeah. he threw for over 4,600 yards, 32 touchdowns. Their offense not only was scoring points, they were second in points for but their rushing offense was top five in the league. And yeah. that their defense was kind of middle of the road. Aaron Donald had like 20 sacks that year, but, but still not a great defense. They were leaning right. on Donald. Yeah. They were leaning on the run game. And that's where you mentioned DeAndre Swift. Um, and if I could use that as a little segue, uh, DeAndre <laughs> Swift has spent the entire off season working on his body. He came back bulkier. He was just more, he was more fit. And if they can, rely on him and Williams in the backfield and be able to use one of the better graded offensive lines by pro football focus last year. If that can stay healthy and that running game can stay healthy, you might see some added value from Jared Goff to make a, a an incremental step in the quarterback ranks. I'm still not putting him as my QB one, but I yeah. would be more confident in him being a fringe QB one. If he has if he can have that type of a season. The thing is I'm more prepared to start Jared Goff on a waiver wire than I am. If I'm looking at Zach Wilson, Daniel Jones, like guys that are in that area. And, and so I'm usually a guy that likes to have that second QB on my bench, depending who I have. Like if I, if I, for whatever reason, and I don't know why I'd ever do this draft Josh Allen in the second round, then I'm like, okay, well, I don't need quarterback then because Josh Allen is going to start for me every single week outside of the bye week, and then I'll figure it out on said bye week. Um, but I like golf for probably more than most from a fantasy perspective because I know more so because he's a veteran what he's going to give me. Like, what's the ceiling of a golf? But also, like, what's the floor? Like, what's the absolute worst case scenario with golf? And I think some of these other guys have like they could lose you a week more than Goff is going to. And that's ultimately what you're looking at when you're talking waiver wire. Now, Swift's value, he's running back eight. His ADP is 14. Uh, so if you're drafting him in your fantasy league, you're looking at an early second round draft pick with him. He's right behind Joe Mixon and Najee Harris. Those are both guys that are bell cow backs. They get a ton of carries in their offense. Even if in Najee's case, it's not a great offense. Mixon, he's in a great offense for sure. Now, he is ahead of Chubb and Kamara, and, and I kind of get that. I think the Chubb situation, especially not knowing what's happening with Deshaun Watson, well, apparently he's playing preseason, but as far as regular season goes, who knows how much time he's going to miss. And if he's in an offense with Jacoby Brissett, not an offense that I'm really interested in getting involved in, I would be a fade Amari Cooper guy altogether. And the Kamara situation, his court hearing keeps getting pushed back, so this could fall in your fantasy playoffs for all you know, and then the NFL suspense in midseason. So that's always a concern with him. But I love Swift. I drafted him in a dynasty draft a couple years ago. He's not a guy that I'm looking to trade. I think his, especially in PPR, his catching out of the backfield value is so high. Um, I think he's the only running back to own from a 
right now if you're drafting. But I do think that Jamal Williams is a guy that if if you take him last round, maybe you take him waiver wire and you hold on to him. He did start to get a lot more carries late in the year last year. So I do think he could see some a bump in his value from last year. Um, you weren't typically drafting Williams, but you did get him. If you had him late in the year, then you're obviously thrilled. So that's kind of my views on your backfield. What do you think of the running back situation fantasy-wise? The one thing I would look at with DeAndre Swift is I, I'm, ba- I'm basing this all off of ESPN and PPR because that's a lot of what I would play is PPR. Um, I'm not really a huge fan of standard scoring anymore, but DeAndre Swift averaged 16 points, uh, fantasy points per contest, which still ranks him in the top 10, a top eight, really, um, per week. So when you look at, he's, he's around that, yeah, he's around top 10 uh, last year. But the thing that you mentioned is that the PPR perspective in that, from that, that part, he had, he had over 600 rushing yards and almost 500 receiving yards. So even in limited time, he's got, he's got you 1100 scrimmage yards, not to mention that. Now you imagine he takes a step forward in that. And maybe he gets, maybe he gets a thousand yards rushing um, and gets probably, you know, about the same, maybe 600 receiving yards or so that also brings Williams into the play as maybe like a handcuff because of the way he played at the end of last year. Yeah. He's, he's kind of been like the heart and soul of that, of that offense. And that's a guy that I would be fairly confident if you're high on the lions rushing offense, which I think if Swift can stay healthy, a lot of people would be. So William uh, Williams, I think he's, he's a good handcuff to have just in case if Swift goes down or if that offense is rolling and playing well, he's just going to get some carries anyway. Maybe he's like a, I don't know if he'd be an everyday flex, but he would be a great, he would be a great sub in some spots. Yeah. Um, but yeah, by week look- guy for sure. That, that, that's Absolutely. what I like about him is that if you do stash him on your bench, then you feel like, okay, I don't want to own both unless like you're talking handcuff situation, but you would never start both together. Right. Um, but if you have him and you want to stash him, you're, you're assuming that maybe Swift being the smaller back, he misses a couple games. Jamal steps in, gets the bulk of the carries. You, you get some great weeks out of him. Or as you said, he sees an increase in production, th- then it would go a long way from his fantasy perspective. Now, wide receiver-wise, for me, I think there's two guys that you could own on this offense from a receiving standpoint and feel fairly comfortable with what they're going to provide. I'm in Ross St. Brown. I mean, I had him in a dynasty draft. Funny enough, I had my dynasty draft last year. I drafted two Lions wide receivers, and I said, I just hope one of them pans out and Amon Ross St. Brown was one of them and he led me to a fantasy title come playoffs. So I got a soft spot for, for St. Brown. Now his ADP 65, which means you're drafting him sixth round, maybe seventh round. Um, he's just behind Brandon cooks, the number one there in Houston. And then Chris Godwin, number two there in Tampa. He is ahead of Michael Thomas coming off his, uh, where he missed the entire season. So, St. Brown, as I said, he blew blew up fantasy football playoffs. He had a good rookie year. We're anticipating that he's going to take a step forward this year. And then you've got DJ Chark as the other receiving option. His ADP, you can draft him a little bit later, last couple rounds of your draft. I think he's worth the draft pick because, as you said, red zone target. I think prior to getting hurt, he was great with the Jaguars. If he comes back at even 80-90%, I think he's better than a lot of those guys in that range and even guys going a couple rounds before. So I don't mind owning either one of these guys. Now, you as a Lions fan, from a fantasy perspective, which guy would you feel more comfortable with? Do you want to draft a guy in the 6th or 7th round in Brown, or would you like to maybe snag Chark late to be that flex play guy? I would pick Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, or also known as the Sun God in in Detroit. (laughs) Um, but just because he's coming off a 90 catch year, just shy of a thousand yards, the way that the lions like to run their offense, especially with golf, they're, they're going to, he's going to be a volume receiver. Um, and we saw a little bit of that last year. Uh, but I think Brown St. Brown is going to be that volume receiver. He I'd be more confident with him, but I would be, I would take a, a late flyer on DJ Chark 
Um, I it's kind of like a buy low, sell high scenario because he is coming off that injury. Um, but they brought him in because of just his his body, his catch radius, his uh, his red zone threats, and I think you could see him. I think you could see him crowd uh, crowd double digits in touchdowns potentially, um, but it just depends on his comfortability with Goff. But he had a really good camp. Um, I think he's a, definitely a guy that you could take very late, and you know if you just need an extra receiver that you want to take a chance on. Like I said, if he has a pretty solid year, he's a guy that you could end up flipping for somebody just depending on um you know how the season pans out if somebody gets hit with injuries and and shark becomes a real number one red zone threat that's you know that's that's the thing the lions have been missing for a few years and if he becomes that number one red zone threat that's a guy that you could buy really low sell high enough to somebody who really needs a receiver just for his touchdown marks uh but he's going to be kind of like i think a boomer bust this coming year um, not going to be a ton of volume, but he'll probably be second. Uh, he'll probably be second on the team in targets, uh, yeah. maybe third, depending on how much Hawkinson gets. Yeah. Like for me, you speak of Hawkinson to me, this is the guy that I want to own the most in the lions offense, strictly from a value perspective, because a lot of people talk about the big five tight ends this year. You've got the Kittles, the Kelsey's, the Anders, the Pitts, and the Wallers, but to me, it's a big six, and I feel like Hawkinson gets left out. And I don't mean that I think Hawkinson is going to match their production per se, but I think he's a slight step behind them, but I know what I'm getting from him every single week. I feel confident drafting him as a tight end. So if I'm not looking to draft tight end first four or five rounds, I could get a guy like TJ Hawkinson in the sixth round and feel very comfortable every single week because tight end becomes a wasteland once you get past a certain number of guys. Then you're hoping that Dawson Knox catches a touchdown. You're hoping Mike Gesicki's a red zone guy. But I think Hawkinson, he's ingrained in this offense. He's going to be one of the higher target guys. This is why, for me, TJ Hawkinson is the guy to own from a Lions perspective because of where you can get him and what he's going to provide for you. What do you think of Hawkinson? The biggest intrigue for me with Hawkinson and this is kind of the same argument I can make with uh with Jared Goff is that Hawkinson's coming up on a contract year um so that's going to be a big motivator for him looking at looking at his fantasy in, in his fantasy stuff from last year uh he was top 15 top 15 in targets and touchdowns top 10 in point in fantasy points per game and receptions so if the if the Lions if the Lions can find ways to get him the get him the ball and that's where the the uh the where Amon Ross St. Brown made his breakout year if DJ Chark can kind of be uh be the guy that he was early in his career in Jacksonville DeAndre Swift if all those pieces come together I think Hawkinson becomes even more of a value at that at that spot for tight ends for fantasy because of like you said, it's very shallow this year where there's a, there's just a top few guys that you really want to get. Um, the one thing that would concern me though, is that, uh, he has, he's, he had a really good 2020, uh, he had almost a thousand yards, six touchdowns, but he's not a huge red zone guy yet. Um, he's only maxed out at six touchdowns, uh, in a season in 2020 and last year only had four through 12 games. So that's something that I would kind of be a little weary of if I'm trying to if I'm trying to look and who's going to be my my starting tight end for my fantasy team. However, if some of those other guys are picked, I would probably pick Hawkinson over some of those guys that you mentioned um because of the fact that you're hoping this offense takes a step forward. Goff plays a little bit better and the running game can get there. Uh but that's a big motivator for Hawkinson is the fact that he's coming up on a contract year and you know, those guys like to really ball out so they can get big extensions. And that's only going to help fantasy owners, you know, throughout the season. Um, if he can stay healthy, then I think I think he could has that potential to definitely be a top five va- fantasy tight end. 
For sure. I, I think he's got a, a he's got a good ceiling. If he stays healthy, then he's definitely going to be a major part of that offense. And and I think the Lions have a lot to look forward to, um, especially you as a Lions fan this year. So, Craig, this was a ton of fun, man, having you on the show, chatting some Detroit Lions. Welcome to Off the Ball Network. It's great to have you on here. So I uh, tell the folks at home where they can find your work. And also, as a Lions fan, tell me what success for you this year looks like from this team. Absolutely. Uh, well, my, you can find me on Twitter at CJ Campbell 30. Um, I do columns for, for overtime heroics, uh, for the baseball division, talking, uh, writing about some Detroit tigers. Um, and then also working with off the ball network going to be having a Detroit based podcast coming out here very soon. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, and then every Sunday at every Sunday at eight, uh, 8 PM Eastern, uh, do a weekly show on the All Sports All Plays Network. That's on Facebook, uh, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, so you can find all that there. Um, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun coming on this show, uh, Ken. It's it, I always love being able to talk Lions football. Uh, I'd love to come on later this year and talk uh, talk a little bit about some of the some of the matchups and stuff maybe that the Lions have from a betting perspective. Um, but yeah, I think for to answer the last part of your question, success this year. To me, um, I think that eight nine win range is success. Uh, mm-hmm. If you can if you can pull that defense from almost dead last in the league to fifteenth, I think that's success. If you can keep guys healthy, that's a success, and that's every team wants that too. But I think eight nine wins is a big big win for the Lions moving forward. Um, like I said, the floor is probably six wins, seven wins, but the ceiling, the ceiling is, is 10, you know, nine, 10, 11 wins if everything falls into place. So, uh, it's, it's definitely going to be, uh, I'm drinking a lot of the Kool-Aid this year from, <laughs> from watching hard knocks. I, I love the fact the lions finally get an opportunity to, uh, to have a coaching staff and, an, and now finally an organization, Brad Holmes, the GM, I gotta, I gotta make note of this. He's, He's made so many great moves over the last couple of years that have put the Lions in this position. So that's that can't go understated either. And I think that's going to be something really exciting to watch in the Motor City. Yeah, for me, success with Detroit, because I look at where they were last year, we'll call it three and a half wins with the tie three and a half. To me, success this year is if you double it, like if you get to that seven mark, not to say that Vegas plays a part in like team success, but if they're putting you at six and a half and you hit the over, I, I don't think that you can call the year a failure. And and Lions fans shouldn't be discouraged if it doesn't mean a playoff berth right now. It just means that they're building something there. Dan Campbell's starting to get the organization back on track. You talked about the moves that were made that got them to this position. And I'm excited to watch the Lions this year. I haven't been able to say that very often. Um, betting wise, they burned me a lot last year in tight games, but that being said, um, I am looking forward to watching them and, and I do hope for the best for the lions. So, um, as I said, Craig, thanks so much for coming on the show. Everyone who tunes in every single day to the competitive hedge podcast. We appreciate you go and give us a five-star review, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you guys tomorrow for the daily competitive hedge podcast.